Welcome to the Healthy Hair Podcast. Your host, Dr. Amy Brenner, is a board-certified OBGYN with additional certifications in functional and integrative medicine. This podcast is meant to help women find reliable, relevant information to help them feel better, look better, and live better. Here, you will hear in-depth information about hormones, sexual medicine, aesthetics, cosmetic gynecology, and functional medicine. Well, hey, this is Amy Brenner, and today we have a repeat guest, nurse practitioner Brittany Fowler, and we are going to be talking about drugstore gynecology. Welcome, Brittany. Hi, thanks for having me. So, have you ever been down that aisle in the drugstore? And the aisle I'm referring to is the, I think it's officially named the feminine hygiene or sometimes feminine wellness aisle. Um, I've taken my kids down there like, mom, I don't want to go down this aisle. But it has all the the intimate things. It has some some lubricants. It has condoms. It has maxi pads, tampons, and yeast infection medicine, bladder infection medicine. What else am I missing, Brittany? I was going to say the azo is definitely in that aisle or the urinary symptoms treatment, all those products. Yeah, there's even some like heated vaginal lubricants under there for for pleasure so oh some emergency contraception and so we're gonna be talking about all these where should we start let's start with douching yeah are are there douches in there i forgot (laughs) we forgot about that one (laughs) um well i guess that's the first question is should you do this and if so, how often? What's the deal with douching? No. Certainly something our grandmas did, <laughs> yes. probably. Maybe our mothers. And I do hear that a lot. Patients used to do it all the time, and now they'll come in and say, well, I tried douching. It's like, wait a second. Why are you still douching? <laughs> well, yes. no one told me I wasn't supposed to do yeah, that. Or maybe your mom told me, like, when you get the birds and the bees talk, maybe your mom told you, like, you should do this. Yeah. So are you still seeing patients that are douching? Yes. And I'm strongly encouraging them to stop that. Why why are they douching? I think you said it best. Your quote, the vagina is a self-cleaning oven. Yeah. Doesn't. Yeah. You don't need to do that. It takes care of itself. Although, you know, I thought about this since we were talking earlier. The only time I've ever recommended that is if somebody has a retained tampon and they may have left it in there for a week or two. I may tell them to just do it just one time. Just to try to flush it out. Yeah. Because getting rid of that that odor can can take a while. And yeah. when you realize that, like, I'm sure you don't feel very clean or worried about infection. But just, you know, but what are the problems? So that's the only time I've ever recommended it is if somebody's had a retained tampon. And it's clearly been in there a long time because of the the odor that it's left Yeah. I think the main problem is you're messing with the pH. I mean, the vagina can take care of itself. Um, It's got its own bacterial balance with good bacteria. It has its own pH. And if you're kind of flushing things up there or in there, you're offsetting that natural flora. I tell patients it's the good bacteria that as women we have down there that you want down there. Yeah. That protects you from vaginal infections. Um. 
On that same note, I think it was Gwyneth Paltrow that started something called vaginal steaming. I don't really know what that is, what? but I've, never I, heard I've of like that. heard of that before or like some of these vagina spas of, and we don't have any in Cincinnati, but I've just read, read about them and kind of in the OBGYN literature criticizing them of uh, vaginal steaming. I would say I would take the same position. Like, I don't know what that's killing. Yeah, I've never heard of that vaginal steaming. That's yeah, interesting. I think it, it used to but be. But the a premise thing. is the same thing as douching, right? You're yes. trying to yes. reset. Yes. All right. What else should we talk about that's in that aisle? Cranberry juice. That's a big one. Yes. With you, not in that. You don't. You won't find cranberry juice in the feminine hygiene aisle. But I think it is a um, cranberry kind supplements of a, a or cranberry supplements. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, old wives tale of uh, I'll drink cranberry juice if I get a UTI which really you're just drinking a bunch of sugar sugar which if there's truly an infection there bacteria love sugar yeah now I don't have a problem with cranberry capsules because you're probably not taking all the added sugar in fact we have a, a supplement uh, here in the office um, for people that um, have recurrent UTIs um, and it does have cranberry as part of it. Cranberry extract, I think, yes. is in it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I wouldn't recommend cranberry juice. Just I'm, I'm just not a big fan of just drinking juices in general. Um, but uh, yeah, we have a supplement for rec- recurrent cranberry or recurrent cranberry, recurrent UTIs. And it does have that cranberry extract, but it also has dandelion and hibiscus of a combo product for people that are getting recurrent UTIs but well and I think the problem is patients think they're flushing it yeah and they're just you know drinking all of this juice and you are just peeing a lot but if there's truly bacteria on the bladder wall you're not going to flush that out no especially not with a juice yeah so wouldn't recommend the juice, but I don't have a problem with cranberry pills. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I was always taught that it prevents the bacteria from adhering to yes. the lining of the bladder. Yeah. So it's a good prevention tool. Um, along those same lines, again, it's not in the feminine aisle, but when I talk to people about the importance of taking a probiotic for gut health, which is one of the, you know, the foundations of health, of having healthy gut bacteria, um, and then while we're on the, the side sidebar of we also have a women specific probiotic for people that are predisposed to this. But every now and then, won't you hear people say like, well, I, dr- I eat a lot of yogurt, so I don't need a probiotic. What do you think about that? It's just not the same. Yeah, it's not the same. There's not enough. Yeah. Bacteria and yogurt. I think I call it more of a marketing thing that they can say that it's that it does have probiotics so they can put it on it, but it's more of a marketing thing. And I think it's like a pixie dust sprinkle of probiotics, nowhere near the amount that you would get in a high quality probiotic supplement. Same thing along the lines of kombucha. Like that's a great healthy thing to drink. Um, But again, doesn't kombucha, like the cranberry juice, has a ton of sugar in it, doesn't it? I'm not sure because I hate kombucha. (laughs) Like, there's not a lot of foods that I don't that I don't like, but kombucha is is one of them. I just think it tastes like 
apple cider vinegar. So yeah, but I know you have to drink like six to twelve bottles of kombucha to equal one probiotic. Yes, high quality probiotic. So you're drinking a lot of um or drinking a lot of kombucha. Yeah. Okay. Any but anyway, back to our our drugstore feminine uh aisle. What else is in there? The yeast infection treatments. That's a big one. That's yeah. A big so one. let's the- talk about that because a lot of times people want to not go to their doctor or provider. They're busy. They're traveling and they get symptoms that itching and burning. So they head over to their local drugstore. So what's our opinion on that? I think the problem with those products is it can be kind of a band-aid to help give you some symptom relief, but it becomes a problem if you're treating the wrong thing. If you don't go and get a pelvic exam, get a vaginal swab to tell us exactly what the problem is, you're kind of wiping out all of the flora in the vagina, and then you could have an overgrowth of more bacteria or more yeast because you're not treating it appropriately. Yeah. So they do work if you know that you have a yeast infection. Like, I I don't think there's that big of a difference. Now, sometimes people do get some burning from the alcohol content in those over-the-counter meds or even just even with prescription creams. So sometimes people get some burning and are sensitive to the alcohol. But but they do work for a yeast infection. But the key is, is, like you said, Brittany, is were you appropriately diagnosed? And is it really a yeast infection or is it a bacterial infection? Yeah, I always tell patients vaginal infections. I mean, I've been working in gynecology with you now for almost two years. They're tricky because they can present as something when really they're something else, right? And we don't know until we do an exam and swab you. So you think you're treating a yeast infection, but ultimately you could have BV, which is bacterial, and you're basically giving yourself the wrong treatment. Right. The other thing is, is nowadays, because people have been treating yeast um, with diflucan or in these um, conazoles, which are in the creams, is now there's a lot of yeast resistance. And so those, even if you did have yeast, they might not work because you might have a yeast organism that's resistant to those medications. And that's where a swab um yeah, it just needs further workup. It's going to show like you have this yeast infection and is it sensitive to the typical treatments that we would use? So, yeah. In a pinch, like you said, I think they're great just to give you some symptom relief if you're on vacation or something. But ultimately, it's best to just see a provider and get a swab. Yeah. What about... Again, there's nothing worse than getting a UTI. Like when you have those UTI symptoms of your peeing every 20 seconds, just a few drops, burning when you pee. Of course, it always seems to happen in the middle of the night or you're on vacation. Probably that's why it's called honeymoon cystitis because you're having a little bit more fun on vacation and predisposed to a UTI. So you get these symptoms and you're like, ugh. I don't want to spend my vacation time going to see a doctor. So you go to the drugstore and... Azo, Azo. Everybody's taking Azo at some point. If you're a female, I know you know what Azo is. Yeah, that stuff, it turns your urine um, orange. Yes. So what's the problem with that? 
it will give you temporary relief. But the problem is once you come in to see us, it kind of distorts your sample and we don't really know what's going on. So again, it it distorts the urine dip. Yes. So yes, on just the quick dip we have here in the office. Yes. So then like I don't even do it because it's yeah. I'm not going to get great results for it. So I'm going to have to send your urine away to the lab for a culture. Typically takes about three days for the culture to grow. And then I can see what's going on. Yeah. But it does work. So it I, does. I, I hate to tell somebody don't do that because you can be miserable. Mm-hmm. And if you are on vacation or um, or it is the middle of the night or like, what are you going to do? Yeah. So... So it does work and it's not the end of the world, but but it's it's also not going to treat a UTI. No. It's just going to give you that analgesic effect. It's kind of like the monostats that we were talking about, the, you know, the yeast products over the counter. It's a Band-Aid. Yeah. It's going to get you through, but. Yeah, but you're not, it's not going to treat your infection. No. No, so, you still need a visit. Yeah. And maybe antibiotics. Yes. So. Um, Where I think that could be helpful, though, is maybe you had surgery and you had a catheter placed and it's a little weird feeling after that. Like that'll give you some anesthesia effect. Um, But I actually give it as a um, peridium is the the medical name for it. I actually give it to my hysterectomy patients pre-op because I look in everybody's bladder. So then that sensation the first couple days after surgery because it's irritating to just, them just because we put the catheter in and out can be irritating so pre-treating them with peridium like it lets me see what I need to see when I look in their bladder but also treats that post-op irritation so I always tell my patients when I prescribe pyridium that it is going to stain your urine I only I made that mistake once with a patient I forgot to tell her hey yeah. your urine is going to look really weird and never made that mistake again. Yeah. So even if you just get a little dabble of incontinence, it can ruin your underwear or pants. Yes. So. All right. Condoms. That's in that aisle too. Spermicides. Yeah. I'm always impressed or shocked rather, I guess, by the number of patients that I see that when I ask them if they're using, you know, are you sexually active? Are you using condoms? And they say, well, no, I'm on birth control. Well, do you only have one partner? Are you married? Well, no, I have multiple partners. Well, birth control doesn't protect against STDs. Right. So so, so that's when we give 100% thumbs up to if you're not in a, in a monogamous relationship because condoms are best defense against protecting against STDs and STIs. All right. But if you happen to not be using contraception or perhaps you were using condoms or um, and the condoms broke and you're concerned about an unplanned pregnancy, there are some amazing options for emergency contraception. So let's talk about those. Yeah. So there are two options right now. One of them is actually over the counter. The other is a prescription, which you and I were just kind of talking. The one that's a prescription, it's called Ella. It's a single dose. So you would take it after unprotected sex. It's kind of like, well, why is that still a prescription? I know. Maybe someday it will be, but obviously to get it to market, maybe they had to make it prescription. I can't remember what if plan B 
was ever I a think, prescription. I actually think Plan B used to be a prescription a long time ago. We'll have our uh, we'll have our uh, assistant over here look it up to see if it ever was a prescription. But now that I'm thinking back, actually, it might have been. Um, I'm thinking it was. We'll 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 have her look that up. So, but you're right. So Ella is a prescription. So you do have to get a prescription. Yes, but Plan B is over the counter. You don't need a prescription for that. And both of these, what we found, were up to ninety five percent effective in preventing pregnancy. Now that's if you take them correctly, you have to take them within a window. With plan B, you have to repeat the dose in about 12 hours. But both of them you need to take as soon as you can after unprotected intercourse for them to be effective. Yeah. So Ella is a little bit more effective than plan B, has less side effects. Um, I think Ella you can take within five days of unprotected intercourse. Plan B you have to take within the first three days. Yes. Um, the other issue I think with plan B is there might be um, less efficacy if you're over an ideal body weight. So um, JJ just looked it up for me. So um, plan B was first approved by the FDA in 1999 for prescription use only. So oh, okay. You're right. Can you look up when did it come over the counter? So I would imagine, um, I, I don't know, who knows with the, the political climate these days, Um you would think that they would make things like that more available, but but who knows? Um, I think sometimes in some pharmacies, I actually just saw it in my local Walgreens. I saw Plan B just on the shelf, but sometimes it's actually behind the shelf. So sometimes- yeah, you still have to consult with a pharmacist. Yeah. Okay, here we go. So in 2013, the product was approved for non-prescription use. So, so um, in our practice, we don't require patients to come in for a visit to get Ella. As long as they're an established patient, we can just call that in if somebody's been a patient of our practice. Yeah. um, But I don't think there are- Both good options. Yeah. I don't think there are any contraindications to either of those. So even if somebody has a medical contraindication to hormonal birth control, like they can still take those. Speaking of that, a contraindication to oral birth controls. Yeah. So there is, yeah, there is some talk about moving oral contraceptives to over the counter or maybe behind the counter. And although I love that emergency contraception is over the counter because those are just one-time uses, um, I'm not sure that I completely agree with putting birth control pills over the counter. What do you think? No, 100%. I don't think it's a good idea at all. There are so many risks involved with birth control, and there's a lot of counseling that we do with our patients. It doesn't matter how old they are. If they come in for contraceptive use, there's a lot to talk about there. Are you a smoker? What's your body mass index? What are your risks for taking birth control. Yeah. As well as there are so many different ones. And so depending on um, what progestin that's part of the birth control, like if you have a or have some medical history or family history that makes you more likely to have a blood clot, you may want a different type of progestin. Or if your issues, acne or mood issues, we can tailor that versus you know just going and getting it over the counter you have no idea yeah now maybe this would have been a lot easier you know when I first was in residency the only birth control that I could ever remember was uh ortho tricycline um like 
I think that was the only option. So, or Isn't one that of, crazy? How? Yeah. And so now, now there's I don't even so know. many. Yeah. I mean, 30, 40, 50 different kinds of birth control pills. I don't even know. So, but now it's, there's so many options and it's not just, you know, kind of picking one, you know, some random one. I'd say out of the sample closet, but that's a whole other story. We don't do that anymore. But um, in the past, it was just picking one out of the sample closet. But now it can be really individualized of what birth control pill would be your best option. The best fit for you. Yeah. As well as this, while we're on the topic, I think we did a whole podcast. Um, it was podcast what number was it i think i think, it, it was, I think you said it was 39 yeah, number 39 which is the downsides of birth control um now we prescribe birth control pills or other options all the time but um it's a conversation with your provider yeah. I so mean, what are you usually telling people of you know yes this is a great form of birth control but and people can go to episode 39 for a detailed discussion. But what in general are you telling people about what some of the risks are, the big risks? Well, definitely if you're a smoker, your risk for blood clots just kind of increases tenfold. Mm -hmm. And then, as I mentioned, if your body mass index, if your weight is kind of up there, we may want to put you on no estrogen. Because again, it's just that that risk is there and it's kind of like an unnecessary risk when, like you said, you have other options. Yeah, because otherwise, you know, if you are going to be on an estrogen, then sometimes there's decreased efficacy. So people need to be aware of that, that if you do have a elevated um, BMI or above a certain body weight, that birth control pills might not work as well. So people need to be aware of that. Or even elevated blood pressure. Yep. Is a tough one. Yep. So that needs to be monitored mm -hmm. too. So And addressed with patients. Absolutely. Yeah. I think a lot of what I see here in the office is age too. The young girls, you know, they're concerned more with the mood and nobody wants to gain weight with going on birth control. So it's the, the mood and weight gain for them. And then if they get a little bit older, maybe they're in college now, the big concern is acne. Well, I need to clear up my skin. Mm -hmm. So it just, it kind of depends on what they're looking for in a birth control pill. Like you said, we can kind of tailor it to their wants and needs and symptom control, but you're just not going to have that if you just can go to Walgreens and pick it off the shelf. Yeah. Nobody's going to have that discussion with them. Right. So... All right. Hopefully, hopefully this was helpful and you learned the, the pros and cons of self-treating at the drugstore. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healthy Her. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook and the web. Go to www.dramybrenner.com to learn more. This podcast is for general information only and does not constitute as medical advice, the practice of medicine, nursing or other healthcare services. No patient-physician relationship is formed. The information in the podcast and any references, material or links are at the sole discretion of the listener and not meant to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Listeners should not delay or disregard obtaining medical advice for any medical issues or diagnoses that they may have and should seek medical advice from their healthcare provider for any such conditions.